Welcome to episode 24 of the IntelliCast podcast. My name is Adam Jolly. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Brian Lamar. Hey, how's it going? Oh my gosh, it's been a long time. I'm not sure how to do this podcast thing anymore. I, f- I kind of forgot. I kind of thought that we would have to cancel it today. Is this a... Do we just do a summer hiatus? Special edition. It's a sabbatical. We did a little sabbatical. <laughs> what? You were out, though, a little bit. Yeah, summer times are hard with vacations and children and heat. Holidays. And conference and holidays. Yeah, it's been a lot. Yeah. Uh, IntelliCast is brought to you by EMI Research Solutions, and you can follow EMI on Twitter, EMI underscore research. You can follow IntelliCast on Twitter, IntelliCast1. My personal podcast is Adam Jolly, and if you ever have any questions, if you want to be a guest, if you have any topics you'd like us to cover or any just rants that you want to give, you can reach us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. Brian, yeah. is there any market research news going on out there? Um, there's a little bit. To me, I, am, I, I think everyone is hopefully fascinated by this WPP Martin Sorrell. It's a soap drama. opera. It's, yeah. We don't often have this in market research. And you and I are both into kind of like, you know, a little bit of the drama. And I love swarminess. Yeah. And now we're getting it. And it is, I love following it. So Martin Sorrell <laughs> leaves WPP and then kind of becomes his own like little renegade entrepreneur. But instantly. Right. Starting to snatch up companies. <laughs> right. Starting to make plays where... Are the plays that he's making, were they part of the strategy when he was at WPP? Like, did he know? Could he foresee or was... He he has to be. Has to, right? And so, I'm not sure how much they owe him. I think it's a lot of money. Yeah, that was the big talk. And yeah. so, was he going to get that? There's going to be lawsuits and there's going to be more acquisitions. And this, imagine... Martin Sorrell in a bidding war with one of the largest companies in the industry, yeah. like an individual. <laughs> well, it's kind of—it's like the Elon Musk versus NASA. Type yeah, stuff, exactly. Right? Yeah, um, it's a lot, and I think you know WP is big, and I know that even goes beyond market research. But there is a lot of market research ties yeah. to WPP, and I think there is going to be serious implication because why this is market research news. I guess is what the story I'm telling right is that. There's going to be serious ties to what happens with WPP and how they pivot and how they adjust to what Sir Martin is doing <laughs> for companies like Kantar yeah. um, and all of the brands that fall under that. Yeah. Um, I, I would think there's happen? some turmoil. There's got to be, if you're an employee at one of the WPP companies, right. of which Kantar TNS is huge in our world, right. there has to be turmoil and just, you know... I don't know. I would think it'd be crazy working there right now. Yeah, and you almost wonder also, like, is it just too big not to worry about? I mean, we've seen in the space where one hand doesn't talk to the other. You know, you talk like um, one WPP company needs to buy Sample and they've never heard of Lightspeed yeah, or right. something, right? Right, happens all the time. <laughs> right. So maybe uh, maybe that's not too much, but I think when you start talking, there's there's a lot of noise about mergers and acquisitions, which is something we're talking about in a little bit. And that's probably the craziness of it, right? Is not really knowing like what's going to happen with your job and who's going to own your company. Yeah. And just, I mean, the, if I'm an investor and I own WPP stock, I mean, you don't know if how much your payout that this guy is. Right. And a lot of the board didn't agree with the payout in that the was first the big place. Part. Yeah. So 
I think there's probably some animosity. I think we'll see some big changes. I mean, we're not in the prediction segment yet, but I think we'll be see some big changes. I mean, it's not surprising to anybody this year. No, not at all. Um, is there any other market research news that has come out or you want to talk about? Anything you remember? Like, think about all the emails. You know what? There's one thing I would talk about, and this might read into like a research rant. Um, I feel like in the last few months, last few weeks, like I, two big DIY tools for a sample have come out. Yeah. You think about the Pegasus tool from Innovate and the P2 tool. Although yep. that's been out, but I, I just, it's gotten a push. P2 right? solo. Yeah, solo. Great timing, by the way, to come out around the movie. It's great. It, absolutely good branding. And by the way, oh, JC Sebastian and Apology, he probably wanted to talk about that when he, we interviewed him on the podcast <laughs> right. in Atlanta, and he didn't get a chance to do that, but P2 solo is their yeah. DIY tool, and we'll promote it a little bit here. So, here's the big talk. And yeah. this is, uh, this is really, this is probably its own podcast. Okay. Really. Now that I'm in here and I'm looking at the rundown and I'm sorry, but like maybe we should talk like, yeah. is there more of a marketplace for these DIY type tools? If more people are coming out with them, like, is the whole industry going to be this DIY tool now? Or am I just freaking out because two companies came out in the same week? That's interesting that you say that. Yeah. Because one of our little initiatives is to try to figure this out, right? right? We sit kind of in the center of the sample landscape, and part of it is to try to understand. I think we, in many ways, understand the sample landscape better than the individual sample companies that have panels. Right. Because we're talking to them all. We're getting a sense of it and the trends. So my opinion is some are racing for this DIY thing. They can't get there fast enough. That's the P2 samples of the world and the more... Um, technologically positioned companies like Innovate, et cetera. Right. Um, I think the bigger companies kind of have to have it. But then there's a large group of people that are like, nope, you know, we want to be more efficient, but we don't need all this DIY stuff. And our, our brand equity is around service and customization. And that's kind of where we sit, I think. And it's where some of our partners and many other sample companies sit. And they're being pretty resistant and they're betting that this, they can still, grow based upon that and i couldn't really argue against that i agree um i have kind of a long-winded response as well yeah, let's hear it. i'm thinking it putting it piecing it together in my head right now yeah um i believe that the rise of diy sample has come from the commoditization of sample in period and i think that's been commoditized by both the vendors of sample and the insight purchasers of the full service market research companies. Mm-hmm. And that there are companies, you, we could, we could sit here at EMI and raise a, so we use programmatic sampling. We do that, all that kind of stuff. We don't have our own DIY tool yet, but we could sit here where we are right now and do the manual bid and send over bids. Okay. I'll do the, okay. I'll do it. And then we send, you know, everything's a very manual consultative selling type approach. We could stay in that lane. Yeah. And immediately we would make ourselves non-attractive to the Nielsen GFK Ipsos, uh, maybe market strategy. I'm just thinking like the top 15, like the huge conglomerates because, yep. because of the commoditization and because of where they are, they're so price driven now because the competition's so much higher than it has been. 
And that's why I think you see companies like Kantar that are switching to their entire platform is a scent run where it's a DIY type tool. So they're yeah. using the automation to save money that way. So they compete against kind of upstart companies like a remesh or somebody like it's kind of upstart technology type company. Yep. And so you can stay where you are. You can stay in your lane, but you're putting a gap on your growth. You're putting a glass ceiling on yourself yeah. and no one wants to put a glass ceiling on themselves. Yeah. So companies come out with DIY tools as a flirtation type of development to start to see how can they help those bigger companies. And you almost have, it's almost, you have to do that. Or you are saying I'm okay not having 50 to a hundred million dollars yeah. in sample sales, right? Yeah. Um, at the same time, I think an interesting trend, here's what I'm really watching with DIY type tools is how do we differentiate the DIY tools? What, so that's like the ingredients that's in it, the user interface that's in it. And also, is there a way to change kind of the pricing structure? Mm-hmm. So currently, if you are using, this is really inside baseball, but like if you're using like a pure spectrum or a lucid, it's set up as like a marketplace for sample. Mm-hmm. And so you're expecting lower costs and they will sell on that too, because it's almost like a bidding type thing. So normally when you would spend $3 for a piece of sample, you're going to buy it for $2 or $1.50 or something. And then the people that sell against it say, what do you like about $1.50 samples? Whatever. Right. Right. And then opposing to that, you have a company like Scent who does not necessarily pass on those auto, those savings, um, you will probably get more of a retail price from set. You're probably still getting the $3. Yeah. But still, like, they sell more on the reach, the, the you know, the breadth of the reach and all that that they have, all the 1,600 different panels that they have. Um, and then you have companies that kind of Lucid's doing this and then, like, uh, Bordus Access. Uh-huh. So this as well, where they're selling a license to the tool. Right. And then the savings on top of that. Because yeah. there always is a risk if you have a DIY tool where you just become the feasibility guesser. Right. So like, and we do that here so many times. So we're like, okay, I can get this from this point, this from this, from this point. Okay. Hey, I wonder what like the DIY tool says. Not that you're ever going to launch into it. You use it as like a gauge. Like what is there? What's feasibility? What's the price look like? And so by just charging a license type thing, you get that. Now we have this new levels of changing the pricing structure. Do you pay for clicks? Do you pay for just anyone that gets in the survey? Do you extra incentivize for late terms? Like, do you change? Do you blockchain? Like, do you use different types of pricing type strategy? And that I feel like is going to be a huge differentiator when you start thinking about DIY tools as we evolve. Right now, kind of all the same. Let's just be honest. Well, I I pitched two differences. Yeah. But the, the same kind of person. Right. Maybe the exact same person has built most of the, <laughs> right. of the DIY tools in the industry, right? And everybody else right. is kind of a me too copying that. Sure. So they're all kind of, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, by the way. Right. Commoditization of sample has happened and that has been driven by a few companies that are also aggregators who probably is in their best interest to com- commoditize sample because they don't have their own panel. Right. Um, I think there's a speed element to it as well because if you're like a Kantar, and no telling how many millions of sample you got going through there. You're going to use your own panel first and then you're throwing it in scent and topping it off. And, um, it's probably a little more strategic than that. But then you don't want to have to necessarily add on, you know, six other partners that aren't working with API. And then that's a lot of like labor intensive. There's some speed probably when right. they're, they're competing with the Ipsos in the world and others that have other similar type tools. That's the first point. Second one is as these panels are building these DIY tools, 
I would think you have some interesting options, challenges that, do I build a DIY tool? Do I connect to Scent? Do I connect to Lucid? Do I connect to Pure Spectrum? Do we stay out of all of them? Do we reposition ourselves? Do we go direct to client? And all of those are expensive, especially, I mean, we work with a lot of kind of smaller part niche panels that they don't, they're not backed by VC money that have millions and millions of dollars to innovate. Um, they got to make some tough choices probably. And some of them have built DIY panels and spent a lot of money doing that. Others are staying out of it. That's my next point. Um, is man, that's tough for them. That's a tough call. Yeah. Something to think about. It's probably not going to be the last time I have this type of rant or we think about things like that. Yeah. Especially as like we're kind of exploring our own realms with that and what's good and what's not. I, I think you're, we have kind of as an industry done this cannonball into the DIY type tools right now. Everybody's kind of doing it. And I've made that argument and that complaint a thousand times where we jump into the deep end on any new idea because it's new and it's innovative and it'll save us time and cost. And then we strangle, strangle it to death. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if you're some clients, I mean, there are people out there right now, that are using a DIY tool and it's not fulfilling their needs. Right. They're going to a second DIY tool and seeing if that fills their right. needs. Then they're going to a third. I mean, how many DIY tools are they using? It's taking out the entire service element of a lot of this. Yeah. It's like setting up the APIs of APIs. Is that what you're about to say? That, if someone ever had thought of that idea, that would be a good idea. Don't. That was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we can move on to that. You know what? There is another space. I, I, I know I just said like the big behemoths and stuff. Um, but there's a space of like, um, as new market research companies come up or, or new companies that are doing market research and different types of polling and things. I think it's, it's a huge benefit to DIY type tools to go into those type of places and say, whether you're a startup or you're new to it and you're not, um, calloused by the industry, you yeah. don't really maybe have like the value of a dollar of the sample of the research to where you can go in there and be like, okay, this is how we do it. Look, there's other companies. This is just what the norm is. And like, this is how you should, should do it. Like, yeah. I mean, I've, there's companies that I've gone into in the last year that I would, I would go in and I assumed that research now is the number one sample supplier there. Um, because that's the number one SEO sample company in the world. Yeah. And they'd be like, no, I'm using a pure spectrum or a lucid. And yeah. Like, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. It's new school company, new school sample supplier. It makes sense to me. Yep. Um, makes us onto the research rant. Brian, do you have a research rant this I week? I kind of do. Do it. I feel like we just ramped this, but I have one. And this is more kind of an industry problem. And I've, this is a, I've encountered this problem multiple times in my career. And the overall rant is that why don't qual people get quant people and vice versa? Why can't quant people get qual people? Okay. So earlier in my career, I had the opportunity to um, go to a qualitative company. Am I going to mention their name? And my role was to teach them basic quantitative research. Okay. So this, and this is a room of 50 people, all of who are experienced researchers. And I went there and I, I prepared a deck, like a quantitative research 101, you know, what a yeah. base size is, what incidence rate is, how the different methodologies that we use. They didn't understand anything. It was right. horrible. Like they didn't, I had to teach them incidence rate and all kinds of very basic market research terms. And then kind of vice versa. Most people are in our world is quantitative. I don't think that we really have a true understanding around qualitative research. Like, I think we generally know what a focus group is and what a one-on-one interview is, but there's a lot of techniques that you use in terms of interviewing people that are just completely foreign to us. 
And I think that even the quant people don't know when to do qual research. And the qual researcher, right. what happens after do this? What does that mean when you do quant? Are you, and so I think as an industry, we're, we've developed pigeonholed people as quant or qual, client side or supply side. And I'm not sure if we have a lot of people that are kind of generalists that kind of get the whole thing. Maybe there's an opportunity there for people to kind of know it all. I mean, I guess it kind of worked for me. Right. Um, that's kind of my rant. What do you think? Um, so I had a conversation at lunch with somebody today. We were talking about Salesforce. <laughs> and he was like, well, you work in quant sample. And just knowing you and knowing how you talk with sales and you talk a lot about like numbers and percentages and growth. You are probably, you probably do not use Salesforce Lightning, do you? <laughs> Somebody said that to you. Yeah. Wow. And I said, uh, no, I do not. I, you tagged me. I go through all the steps to go back to the classic form. Yeah. The classic is very, um, brackets versus bubbles, right? Yeah. That type thing and very much like maneuver, almost linear thinking. Yeah. Um, at the same time, like I was a little bit insulted. <laughs> <laughs> because lightning is the new thing, the new pretty thing yeah. that like I think tells a better story. It's more um, strategic and probably more like long-term thinking type, right? And I would I would hope that I'm a long-term thinking strategic type person. <laughs> Let's hope. I hope for my title and my future in this company I am. But like that kind of got me a little bit and started thinking that way. Here's the thing. It's the same damn tool. Yeah. Whether you're looking at it in classic or lightning. One just looks prettier. Qual versus quant is the same stuff, right? Like it's, yeah, it's, it's just the picking same. a nit yeah. about the same thing. You're, you're talking to people. Right. About their giving And their trying feedback. to find out if they like something or don't like something and yeah. why that is. Yeah. Sometimes it's clicking a button. Sometimes it's over a bowl of M&Ms. <laughs> right? Yeah. So... Anyway. I think you kind of agree with me. Like, why, how do we not 100%. get this basic? We're 100%. all researchers. I'm with you. But uh, you know what? The thing is, I think also is, so since we've been pushing this innovation button over the last couple of months, it's probably revolves around IIEX too. Like, we think that there's more opportunity and quantitative because it's more, um, you can get more machine learning and AI. Yeah. It's easier to get that with quantitative than it is yeah. qualitative. Yeah. Right? Because behaviors change and qual being so behavior-based. Yeah, can switch up a little bit more in time. Well, I remember when we talked to um, Jerry at the living room. Yeah. And I asked him the question during our interview. I said, hey, what? we have lots of innovation in Qual. What kind of innovation do you have in Qual? And it kind of stumped him, I think, for a second. It stumped him, yeah. And I felt bad about it. But you know what? I think that there is a ton of innovation in, in Qual that um, he just kind of think took for granted. Right. He didn't think it was coming from um, an ignorant quant person that hadn't stepped into a qualitative field right. house in the last five years because there's a ton going on in terms of quality and video and you can do focus groups now sitting in your couch. And so I, I right. think that there is innovation in qualitative. It's just harder to find maybe and harder to describe maybe than our world. I agree. And one of the most innovative people that I know in our industry is a CEO of a qual shop, Isaac Rogers at 2020. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, he's always thinking about what's next. And you would think like if you like were looking in the yellow pages and you saw focus group Nashville 2020, <laughs> yeah. you're like, well, that's not an innovative company. Right. And they 
For sure, well, definitely are. I mean, no just, matter what the group report says. Just think about the format of their focus group. They used to be at a boardroom table behind a glass right. wall. Now you look at some of the things we saw, it was a beautiful room with like nice recliners and you could have a beer and it's right. it's more like you're sitting at home at a party almost. Sure. That's innovation. That's innovation. Yeah. The space is the innovation. Yeah. I agree. That's great. Thanks for the rant, Brian. Uh, let's move into, you know what? We're at the mid-year point. We kind of missed the mid-year point, right? We've missed a lot. We missed LeBron. We didn't even talk about LeBron. Eh. Ohio, I think I, when LeBron left, am I the best athlete in Ohio? (laughs) Maybe. Uh, But we're at the mid-year point, looking into the third quarter, second half of the year. Time to talk about kind of uh, predictions for market research as we move on to it. So this is also kind of like the dead period. Like there's no conferences until... Maybe September is CRC and that sea um, level thing that the Insights Associates putting on in London. There's a lot of like the regional yeah. uh, Insights Associates things start up at beginning of September type thing. But the summer is kind of off limits yeah. for conferences. It's a while before TMRE. Um, yeah. What is that? It's October like or 12th or something like 15th. Um, so, Brian, is there any what is your prediction for the second half of the year? My prediction, and this is, I'm going to have the same prediction that I've had for years running that have, has not come true. Yeah. And that is that one of the bigger um, programming platforms is going to acquire a sample company. So that's Qualtrics. That's Focus Vision is going to acquire a sample company. I think it f- probably fits with their model. I don't know. But I've had the same prediction for a while, so I'm going to keep up with it. I think there's, especially with... Um, the Cantar stuff we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Oh, they sell it makes sense. Speed? It makes sense, right? Oh, wow. um, I almost wonder if the reverse makes sense too, though. Yeah, the reverse makes sense too. If if research now were to buy IntelliSurvey tomorrow. Oh, that's a good one. That would make sense, right? I mean, you saw, look at um, when Critical Mix was made, it was the yeah. combination of authentic response and reinvention. Yeah. And then they bought Critical Mix, who was, I mean, an unbelievable programming company. Yeah. And then just took that name because they had the they had the name like the equity, right? Yeah. Um. So that could happen. Um. My prediction is that we are going to start hearing a lot more hum about guidelines, bylaws, rules for sample suppliers, like some kind of governing force or body on sample. And I say that based off of what's been going on with GDPR, um, based off, you know, what we've seen like Vermont, California with like what's going on with data. Um, you've had sample con, which has always been kind of a more of like a come and share your thoughts type place. I mean, if on its surface, that's what it is. It is an open opportunity. Yeah. You can come in and it's very transparent and things like that. And it might get some rap because of you know, the lucid connections or whatever. But like um, now you have case. And yeah. so now you have two kind of sample conferences slash like bodies, <laughs> right? Yeah. Boards. And it just seems like a lot of motion is going towards the, who's governing these people what are the laws like what are the rules for some of these and i think we're you're going to start to see a lot more steam get picked up into uh kind of like maybe an smr for sample companies i don't think it'll ever happen but it'll be a lot of talk i hope so and by the way if you're listening to this we will have a blog out early the week of july 16th talking about this 
because there's some implications, big implications to market research and sampling. I hope that there's an, I hope what comes out of this is an SMR for sample specific. I hope you're right. And, um, because we need it. We need a respondent's bill of rights. We need a sample buyer's bill of rights and we need a sample sellers. And we can't use, be using these SMR 28 documents as sales techniques. We need to, if we're really going to improve all the challenges we face in sample, I, I think we're at a point when people are really taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of new kind of, um, thought leaders emerging that are not necessarily SMR and Insights Association. Right. And so there's another outlet for leadership and rules and regulations and stuff to come out of. I hope this happens. I don't think it will because the leadership needs to come from outside a sample company. Yeah. And I don't see it happening. I mean, I almost see, I mean, even like when you think about who's like the, the companies that are very prominent at SampleCon, the companies that are very prominent at with case, like it, what's in it? Like it's, it's very hard to get that push from a buyer to like have the money yeah. to influence for something like this to happen. Well, like why would Ford, like the funding or whatever. why would yeah. Ford, Disney, Walmart, PNG push for an industry wide solution when the better, probably strategic move is just to be smarter buyers of sample. Right. And then they're beating their competition that way. Right. Instead of thinking, how do I fix sample for everybody, including my competitors? And I'm going to invest in that. Right. That probably doesn't make a lot of business sense, unfortunately. I'm, I'm shocked that you say you need it because it, it comes like a big piece to me. Like, uh, are you a state's rights person? Oh, yeah. Big state's rights person. But then you want to governmentize the entire sample industry? Like, to me, it should be that <laughs> but, right. company, like, ultimately. Yeah. Co- a company. So uh, I had a, another conversation with a company that was like, what we're going to start doing is we're not going to limit to four or five sample companies. Yep. But we're going to score and post like these are the top four or five sample companies as far as deliverability, amount of sample that we have to throw out, price consistency, not price like how high or how low are they. Yeah. Like those type of things. And we're going to put that up to, like you see that every time. Like yeah. we're going to start scoring and grading and holding accountable sample partners. And then you see that when you're choosing. You can still choose anybody. Yeah. But those are the ones that are doing the best forever. You should probably use those. And I think if you got that from clients, you would have it. But at the same time, we're decentralizing almost all sample buying type stuff. There's very rarely yep. do you come up where like, I hear a sales rep here saying like, oh, yeah, that one person holds the keys. Like No yep. one says that anymore. But I think similar to how SMR and CASRO came up with guidelines for like interviewing children, for example. We have standards in place that right. we all agree to follow. We don't have standards in place of how often we contact a respondent. We don't have a standard in place for what we consider an active respondent. Like right. how many active members do you have? Oh, I have 400 trillion members and no one challenges that. Right. So we need uh, just there's some definitions we need to agree upon, some standards in place around um, incentives, how often we contact. Um, now I'm, yes, you're right. I'm a state's right person. I'm also a capitalistic person. Yeah. That the, the sample company that chooses to do this right. will emerge. And there are some companies like Active Measures really yeah. position themselves as For sure. quality and. They're one of the few they saw that coming, I think, and they position themselves for right. quality and they're doing a lot of these things. They're paying terms, for example. Right. And they're um, doing a few things in terms of validation of sample and therefore they're charging more and the market will decide whether that's the model. And there, if, if you believe in capitalism, the market will react to that, right? And right. therefore the other companies will have to adopt their standards. 
But as long as there's a commoditization of sample, I'm not sure if that's going to happen. I'm, I'm talk, I don't know. I'm speaking about both sides of my mouth here. No, you're fine. Yeah, everyone is, and that's kind of where we're at. So <laughs> and that's why it's going to be hard to move this, right? Um, so, it's yeah, that it makes perfect sense. All right, moving on. Current events. Here's what we'll do. We'll mix it up a little bit. All right. I'll give three current events. Okay. You choose one of these to expound on. We'll talk more about. Okay, cool. Kind of cool, right? You going to pick one also? Uh, no. Well, you pick the one, and we'll both talk about oh, that okay, one. Cool. Okay. It'll be fine. First one, LeBron leaving Cleveland for Los Angeles. Okay. All right. Number two, the World Cup and Sunday being the – just just Sunday being crazy in Europe with World Cup and Wimbledon. Yeah. Number three, Kylie Jenner removing her lips. <laughs> of course. Um, it's Pick too, one of those three. It's too bad we don't have a guess in here because Kylie Jenner would be the number one. So I'm going to go with a sports topic. Okay. LeBron or World Cup. Um, let's talk about World Cup slash Wimbledon real quick. Jeez, you pick that. Oh, right. Is that the worst? Uh, I could probably do better with the first one. You want to take LeBron? I could, I could get like socioeconomic with LeBron. Well, oh, now, well, clearly I'm on board with that. All right, let's talk LeBron. <laughs> okay. Let's talk LeBron. And by the way, I was just real quick. The Serena Williams in the finals of Wimbledon, less yeah, than a year after a yeah. baby, is the second best story of the year behind the Thailand kids in the cave. <laughs> Number one, Thailand kids <laughs> in the cave. Number two, Serena Williams. It's an amazing story. All right, let's talk LeBron. Did she, did she help get the kids out of the cave? She probably could have. <laughs> Her and Elon She's Musk. our best hope. She, I mean, for America. I mean, years ago, we were talking about how old she was, and her and Federer were going to retire. And then, not only is she still the best player in the world, she took a lot of months off to have a baby, and then is still destroying everybody. That is an amazing story. I mean, she's... Join Wire, everybody. She's my age. She's 36. Yeah. And is the best tennis player in the world by far. Right. And it has, like, an empire set up, and... Yeah. I mean, and she's I... meeting the queen... Meeting the, I mean, come on. She's friends with Meghan Markle. And their their marriage is like yeah. the most powerful marriage in the country. Probably I didn't know right he now. was a billionaire. He's a billionaire. Yeah, he's he's all right too. Um, LeBron. All right. In Ohio, it is hard to imagine that anything better is better than Ohio. For anyone listening outside of Ohio, laugh. Go ahead. It's it's fine. But people in Ohio have the mindset of effort over talent. It's a yeah. punch up. Nothing could be better than this place. Yeah, blue collar. Blue collar. Make yeah. the best out of things. Like every Rust Belt. Right. That is like Ohio. Yeah. So when someone, one of their own, decides that there might be greener pasture somewhere else, yeah. it hurts because it makes you start thinking about yourself a little yeah. bit. That, I think, is the reason why, like, LeBron burnings, LeBron jersey burnings happened in 2010, right? Yeah. Because it was like, how could there be a better place? You think you're better than us? Yeah. Like, I can't believe you would leave. Yeah. Winning cures everything. Winning yeah. the championship, for some reason, shifted everyone's mindset that it's okay. Yeah. That he left. Even, there's no comic sans with this left, with this leaving, right? Yeah. And it's... Uh, Everyone seems to be okay with it. And it's so much like it's it's bigger than it was in 2010, right? Now, you think about it, in 2010, it was a young kid from Akron that was had never really left Akron. 
yeah. or Cleveland area and then went to Miami like people do on spring break <laughs> or college because he spent four years there and then came yeah. back home. This is somebody that in adulthood is looking for something more in life, yeah. looking for a better life, not just for him, but for his kids. But he will openly family. say yeah. an opportunity for my family, better schools, better opportunity for yeah. Bronny to play AAU ball, better opportunity for his career, for his entertainment, for yeah. all of his investments, clutch, all that stuff. And it's, and now it's okay. Well, that one title, one ring. I guess so. And man, how close were they not getting that ring? It was a Draymond sucker kick away from losing that thing. The block. Would they be burning? And the block, yeah. Would they be burning those jerseys again? I guess that's all it takes. And I can empathize with that a little bit. Yeah. As Cincinnati, we're just as bad a sports town as if not worse than Cleveland. And if I got one, if I got just one ring, I would be willing to sacrifice about anything almost. I feel like. Is it? We take sports pretty seriously here. And you and I take sports pretty seriously. Yeah, I take sports very seriously. I think I'm, I'm lucky. Like, I feel like I get wins. Yeah. Every once in a while. Now, granted, I'm also a Cleveland Browns fan, so I don't always get wins. Yeah. But um, we take sports pretty serious in this town. But at the same time, then you become apathetic about sports. And, like, like no one cares. Like, I don't know if anyone, any Bengals fan really care if they win. It's, was it like, I never thought of this before. Is this what it was like in Cincinnati when Pete Rose left? But he had titles when he left. Big Redmond, he left for Philadelphia after right. he had won titles. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of, I mean, the, Maybe. the world's changed in the last 40 years. Well, the social media of it makes it nuts. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a big part. It's like now it's everywhere and you know everything about LeBron and you know all the reasons why he left. I think when Pete Rose left Cincinnati, you didn't have. You basically had your two beat writers <laughs> right. writing for the morning and the McCoy was there. Yeah, in the morning, the Inquirer, and the Post. <laughs> yeah, right. It's right about it that. It was kind of a simple thing. It was he was from a, I don't know, a suburb of Cincinnati. It was yeah. kind of like, you know, don't talk bad about the West Side. Yeah, but and, they all smell like chili. <laughs> and then, but he brought titles and he left. I don't know. We're talking too much about Pete Rose and not enough about LeBron. Yeah, no, but it, 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 it's similar. You know, when somebody that is like the product of one specific area and kind of embodies an area. Yeah. Um, now, he probably hasn't embodied the area since 2006. Well, maybe even before that. I mean, he <laughs> was, wasn't he wearing like. He was on the cover of hats. Sports Illustrated his fresh, sophomore year of high school. But didn't he have, didn't, wasn't he wearing like Yankees caps and not like Cleveland the Indian stuff? And yeah. Kind of, he's a big well, Yankees and Cowboys fan. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you he got a Hummer his senior year as like an advanced shoe deal from Nike or whatever. Yeah. That's great. Um, but hey, I love him in LA. I, uh, I, I, I'm probably never going to watch him play again. And I'm not a big LA West Coast bat. I mean, I watch Golden yeah. State, but I don't do like the West Coast stuff. And now like the world is like revolving around West Coast NBA. But anyway. I, I love, I love the ridiculous team he has around him. It is going to so be must see TV, him and a uh, bunch of knuckleheads. I don't know what Magic Johnson was thinking. Like, kudos for signing LeBron, which you get credit True. for that. But then you hire every knucklehead in the league to go alongside. None of them which can shoot. Like, that's the, <laughs> like, that's the same model that has lost NBA games for the last really, five years. Isn't that really where the NBA is heading right now, is it? But that's what they're doing. Maybe they have a, 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 you know, an ace up their sleeve, but I can't wait. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's showtime. Uh, Brian, non-research ran of the week for this week? 
I don't think I have one this week. I'm going to save one for the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's going really well right now. 85 degrees. There's no humidity outside. Man. It's finally. It's like, this is the weather we should have had in early May. Right. Weekend plans? Anything? Um, Painting a bathroom. Next weekend, going to Philadelphia. Going to Pennsylvania for a birthday party. That's my summer vacation. Um, Working on the bathroom this weekend. What about you? Great. Um, I don't think of anything. I think I'm going on a date night Friday or Saturday. My birthday was oh, yeah. Tuesday of this week, so the wife's taking me out. Should be fun. I'll be watching the world. And when I say movie. taking me out, she's using my money. To, no, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, sorry. The, the, current Jolly. Right, the current Mrs. Jolly. The current Mrs. Jolly. I'll be watching the, the World Cup in Wimbledon, but that's in the morning. That's a beautiful thing. You get the rest of your day. <laughs> right. Do whatever you want the rest of your day. Noon, right? Awesome. Uh, yeah. That wraps up episode 24 of IntelliCast. Please feel free to follow us at IntelliCast1 on Twitter, EMI dash, or no, I'm sorry, don't go there, EMI underscore research on Twitter, Adam Jolly, all one word, or email us IntelliCast at EMI dash RS.com. Look for us at the upcoming conferences, the Insights Association, the fall meeting, um, which is in Florida. Yeah. September 5th through 7th. Uh, and then if you're in Cincinnati, I come out to the AMA Ignite Conference, which is a great branding. We should probably do like, we'll throw more once we get close to it about AMA, the Ignite Conference. And you've had a big part in that. Some people are going to be there. It's a, it's a huge quant and qual. There's a lot of research people there, but that's on September 22nd. Um, until then, Brian, anything you want to add? No, I don't think so. By the way, the, we are having a scavenger hunt. Yeah, I do have something to add. We're doing a scavenger hunt. I don't know if you, Talked about that, but we're if you're coming to the AMA conference, well, the Great Lakes this is the Insights Association. Yeah, uh, we're doing a, um, a scavenger hunt for charity. It'll be a lot of fun. So hopefully you're coming to that conference. There's good speakers. Um, they have Jeff Birding. They just announced today. Oh, really? General manager of FC Cincinnati. He's a good speaker. So wow, yeah. that's really good. Yeah. Um, I think scavenger hunt is like second or third on our revenue line by line list. <laughs> we do a lot. Sample scavenger hunt. Programming. We're always <laughs> finding stuff. That's so great. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you guys next week. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.